Welcome to Marketing Mistakes and How to Avoid Them. Here's your host, Stacey Jones. Welcome to Marketing Mistakes and How to Avoid Them. I'm Stacey Jones, and I'm so happy to be here with you all today, and I want to give a very warm welcome to Mark Crawford. Mark is a partner with Tech Meets Trader, an investment service that specializes in early-stage venture and operates a family of funds, meaning he works with those super trendy companies like blockchain, fintech, and crypto. He specializes for them in implementing data-driven business development designed to drive growth on a global scale. And what that really means is he helps make sure your marketing meets numbers. He previously worked at the Interpublic Group, where he managed accounts for Fortune 500 companies like Charles Schwab, J&J, and Fiat Chrysler Automotive at IPG, where he helped outlay $50 million worth of digital investments across a portfolio of over 20 companies, including Meredith Corporation, Hulu, Roku, Meek, and Amidi, and served as a CMO at Amplify Exchange, where he launched their cryptocurrency brokerage across 150 countries. He's now advisor for several blockchain startups and even runs a podcast company. Today, Mark and I are going to be chatting about how to make sure your brand is able to be discovered completely through third-party validation from information that exists online through other people's content. We'll learn what works from Mark's perspective, what should be avoided, and how some businesses miss the mark. Mark, welcome. So happy to have you here today. Hi, how are you? Super good. What I love always chatting about to start off for our listeners is... What got you here today? Like I read a very impressive resume for you. You have worked at some very large, big companies. You have worked with a lot of marketing and assets, but what was the drive to get you here today? I've been busy. I've been, it's been, when you read it all as a list as well, it sounds so, it sounds so exciting. Um, well, really for me, I always followed in my career wherever I felt I could actually move the needle the most. So even when I started out in my career, I picked a very niche job at IPG, which is obviously a big holding company, um, because the role itself I knew had a lot of responsibility and and was going to be able to have a lot of impact. And then throughout my life, I've just always been looking to pick up more responsibility, pick up more things to do, pick up more, you know, ways that I know I'm going to impact the bottom line of our customers, the bottom line of our companies. And, you know, ultimately also, it doesn't hurt, but my bottom line as well. (laughs) That's awesome. So when you first started this company, like, what was your vision? Why did you do it? What was the solution you were looking to provide? So when I was coming out of working at IPG, one of the things that really stood out to me from my friends who were running startups and were in the startup space was the fact that they really didn't have the skills and the specialization in, in the marketing side of things to even know what they were missing, right? And they were leaving a lot on the table, right? From data and analytics and really rudimentary tracking all the way through to more sophisticated modeling in the financial side of things, really understanding who the most profitable consumer is, where to find them, how to get more people like the people who are making you the most money, right? That's because that's really what ends up mattering at the end of the day for these companies. And it's so nice on a piece of paper conceptually, but I had been going and sort of helping to fund the companies that were building these strategies for a couple of years at IPG. And I was able to sort of rope in a lot of that um, sort of 
sphere of influence into them helping these startups. And, you know, to what I said before, talk about moving the needle, right? You bring something like that to a startup and it's like totally changes the game, um, which was, which was really fun to me. And then through the years, that's just progressed, whether it's adding more services to support that concept or finding different companies who need that kind of help. But that's always sort of been the end goal. And I think that especially in the space that you specialize in, right, you know, the fintech, the crypto, the blockchain, you have a lot of people who, you know, I, I will say are a little nerdy. They're a little yep. like into the engineering and the yep. tech and they're super high thought thinkers. And the day to day of the marketing part, you know, they figured out the tech, they figured out the widgets, they know yep. how to get the automations, the software, the apps. But to actually get eyeballs on what they're doing and to get people to download it and use it is the challenge. I say all the time, the best product will lose out to the worst product every day of the week if the worst product has the has better people looking at it like it just doesn't it just doesn't matter at the end of the day, you can just beat yourself to death trying to put out the best product in the world. But if you don't have people looking at it, if people don't know who you are, if people don't trust the brand that you've created and people aren't there, what's it worth? So, but, but you're a hundred percent right that the brain and the mind and the genius that goes into producing some of the top products that we see coming out, especially in this industry are not those same brains who are necessarily over here thinking about, well, let's sort of try to build out this native strategy of like, you know, we'll pay for some PR and then we'll have this halo effect and then we'll do all of this content and we'll do product placements. Like they understand each other, but they're not the same person. And that is, it's important to have swim lanes in that sense. It's like you stay, I'm not going to come over here and build the, build the app you don't come over here, we'll stay in our lanes and we'll both knock it out of the park. (laughs) Well, and I think anything that app and software design focused is such a different thing to have to market because you can get away with an awful lot with a tangible product, right? You can put it on a celebrity, you can sell it at discounts, you can look at ways of commoditizing it. But it's very different where you have to actually log in, use something and have the tech work in the background and keep you there long enough before you're gone. So I've seen a lot of companies where they have a really big struggle here. Yeah, I I agree. And the other piece of it is, is we deal a lot in the financial services tech space. So in that fintech space and trust and credibility in fintech or in financial services is so important right it's your I mean, money it's your it's your money that's and that's why your conversion costs are so high in fintech right everyone knows this but what's crazy too is the second you start bringing on anything to do with crypto those alarm bells for a for a generalist consumer right not necessarily for like an endemic crypto consumer but for the mass market they're like oh i'm not putting my money there so you you really are up against a game of building credibility and trust factor and authority and this expertise and all of that kind of stuff and it, if you don't have the right tools to do that I don't think you'd even know where to start. You know what I mean? It's just, it's such a huge task to undertake and people know it needs to be done, but they just say, you know what? Oh, forget about this. I'm just going to just market to crypto and just market to that group. And, and it's great, but everyone's pulling from the same well, you know what I mean? Everyone's pulling from the same well. And at some point it's, you're going to run out of water. You got to go 
there's a lake right over here. It's like, go to the lake and get the water. You just need to, you just, you just need them to trust you. So that's, that's all there is to it. Right. Well, and there's such a finite market for a crypto yeah. right now. Like you yeah. have so many people who need heavy education and it's hard if you're launching a brand to also provide the education that's going to convert new users over to you and show how they are having problems solved when it's not something they were even aware of that they had as a problem. Correct. Right. Because you, there's so many phases of that sales cycle because you're trying to convince someone that they have a problem. Then they need to self-identify the problem. Then identify that the problem even needs to be solved right? Because they might be fine being like, that's a problem, but I don't care. And then and then say, okay, you want to solve this? We're the best people to do it on board. So and, and the, the attrition you have at each step of that cycle, yeah. it's huge. And to your point, producing the education content around actually shepherding people through that cycle is not an inexpensive endeavor. So you you really have to be able to speak to people very directly, be able to have, you know, a very clear and consistent message and eventually the trust that that will build up. I mean, it, and it's happened with clients for us. It's, it's like you say the same thing long enough and then people are like, you know, these guys went over here saying the same thing for a long time. They seem consistent. That That is trustworthy. Certainly in fintech, you want it to seem a little less exciting. You know, Because it's your money. <laughs> your money, <laughs> right. <laughs> I like there's nothing we all work so hard and then it's like if you see your money go away you're like it's my money you're willing to like wor not worry about that extra sweater you might not need that you purchase and right. that you have it can stay in your closet forever but if you're going to actually move your money into something that's holding your money and helping your money grow and you're using it. I mean, that's something yeah. that's completely different. It's a huge trust factor and all, I mean, not for nothing, but obviously the, the legislation around what you can and can't do in advertising in FinTech is huge. I mean, it's big in any industry, like claims are huge, right? Like we've worked in beauty, we've worked in CBD, we've worked in like all these, I mean, you, you've read my list earlier, like I've been through the gauntlet yeah. and the claim side of things is always something that is, that I think early stage companies are never really aware of, but it always comes out of the woodwork because I can't tell you how many stories I've heard over the years of companies who are like on the brink of an acquisition or on or getting ready for something that's exciting happening with like their futures. And because of different claims that they made through the years, yeah. all of these things, they come out of the woodwork and due diligence and things fall through, but it's, and it's well-intentioned, right? It's like, you don't necessarily know, but it goes back to, you have to have somebody who does know, just hire the role, right? Like, don't try to do it all yourself when you don't know what you're missing. And then you also, when you know, we've touched on this with government regulations, you know, when you're growing, are you just focusing on the US? Are you looking at right. other markets? Because then you've created this spider web that you can easily get caught in. I know. It was one of the first things I always say to all of the kids, like, have you checked your name in every language. You know what I mean? It's like, there are so many companies. They're like, well, we, what we know is that we can't expand in Taiwan because the name translates horribly. And it's like, well, <laughs> it's ridiculous. If you'd know that in the beginning. Don't do that name. You could have a different name. So it's, it's like stuff that's as simple as that. 
that this brain over here, who's just like, I'm going to build the best product in the world is not necessarily thinking about, but this brain over here, that's like, we're going to need people to sign up for this. Like that's who's thinking about it. <laughs> I mean, it used to be that you just had to worry about checking that, you know, the trademark and patent office, right? It's far that, beyond that. Yeah, far beyond that. But that in and of itself is an arduous task these days because everyone's got a company. Yes, it does. So, you know, you've made some really good points about how complex it is. And what you and I were chatting about before is that there is actually a secret to helping these brands establish themselves and build their identity. And that was through utilization of getting other people talking and other content and third-party validation to build a brand. And that's something that I love and know because of the product placement that we do in movies and TV shows. And we work with a ton of different uh, apps and fintechs and anything under the sun to help with that. But where is it that you see brands should be using this? So I, I see it from a number of perspectives. And one of the things that we start with very early on is just the concept of branding the entrepreneur themselves, right? Because in the early days of any company, any startup, right? Really, if you're looking to raise around, if you're looking to you know get people involved, certainly in the crypto space, but in those early days of early adopters, it's not only your product that they're looking at, they're really looking at the team. And if the founder and the actual entrepreneur who's behind the organization isn't living, breathing, sleeping, and constantly talking about that organization across his or her own social accounts, interviews, appearances, what have you, it all goes out the window. So that we stabilize very, very quickly. And we do it through speaking engagements and interviews with reporters and press and podcasts mm-hmm. and you know conference appearances and organizing their social, right? And, and that starts the snowball mm-hmm. because then you start to develop the halo effect. And what we really monitor more than anything else is you can go out and pay for anything, right? Everything that's pretty widely known at this point is that you can go out and like buy your way to the Forbes list if you really want to, right? There's a contributing writer who will write about you somewhere. Exactly. There's a contributing writer who will write about you somewhere. But, and that, that can be a very helpful tool, but mapping out a strategy of using paid placements to generate organic content is something that's not often done. Because people, people will go out of the gate and say, you know what, I'm just going to do one of these packages, you know, I'm going to get, you know, featured on all of these news things, it's going to cost me, right, you see them all the time, people reach out and they're like, get your thing featured on CNN, and it's like a local news station that you've never heard of somewhere. Um, So you're like, but I get to say it was featured on CNN. Right, right. and people think that this is going to move the needle, and it, and it really it doesn't unless you already have so much web traffic and so much interest that people are, that's going to convert them. But the reality is, is that's not going to generate new interest. It's just going to make potentially it could convert existing interest. What we do is we sit down and say, here's a storyline, here's a story arc. And here is like basically a series that we can do of paid placements, you know, contracted engagements, um, you know, articles, podcasts, what have you, all of the, the gauntlet. 
that's going to tell a progressive story arc that then we can pitch out throughout the process of it and start getting sort of industry buzz and industry chatter. And then through that, through UGC campaigns, like user-generated content, where you do, you can do campaigns and giveaways and stuff around these sort of milestones in the story arc, you get a halo effect that doesn't just convert people who are already in your pipeline. It actually draws new people in because the places where you're getting featured have actual eyeballs. It's not a local news channel that is technically operated by CNN that lets you slap the logo on your website, right? (laughs) You're really, what you're doing is a combined earned and fee-based PR strategy where you're creating your own story. You're amplifying your story with additional paid, and then you're pitching it out to secure the earned media that can come out from it. Exactly. And then we'll supplement that, obviously, with a combination of native article placements to boost the reach of the story, to make sure that and use that for both upper and lower funnel stuff. So we'll retarget with native. And that to me, like the retargeting with native is something that I have as an always on campaign. I, you obviously you cycle out the articles and you can have whatever you are actually featuring the relevant story of the day in it. I think it is so instrumental because if you are trying to convince someone that they have a problem, right? And trying to convert them, the best thing that you can do is lead them somewhere where they can research it independently mm-hmm. on a news site or on an article that has nothing to do with you. They are not going to grow to trust your product because they read about you on your own blog, right? Like maybe some people will, but it's much more likely that that person will self-convert if when they Google about you and when they're reading about you, it's all happening on a myriad of someone else's podcast, someone else's listicles, someone else's UGC on Instagram, all of that kind of thing. From reading the Wall Street Journal. Exactly. Coming upon your name and then looking up your site and learning more. And then when they Google, they find all these other little Easter eggs of you spread out throughout the lovely, glorious world of the internet. A hundred percent. And we, and we actually developed like a proprietary researchability quotient that will, that we benchmark all of our clients, whether they're in the venture side or they're in the consulting side Mm -hmm. to see you as an entrepreneur and your brand as a company, how, how researchable are you? Right. And we completely weed out anything that is owned and operated by the organization. So your blogs, your all that kind of stuff. We do this score on two things, one including everything that was paid, like mm-hmm. earned, like bought PR, and then one that's exclusively on the earned component. And then the goal obviously is to balance the scales and then have the earned eventually exceed all of the paid so that it's eventually just this organic machine that can hopefully run itself somewhat. <laughs> but it's a smart approach because, you know, we've worked, you know, I've been in the industry of marketing for over 26 years where so tell. many brands <laughs> are like, I must do everything through earned. And then when I grow big enough, I will then start paying, but you don't have enough of a story typically when you're trying to get up that hill with their earned to yeah. get noticed and you need sparkly things around you or third parties who will, elevate, amplify, and bring their own sparkle to you. You need help. I I say oftentimes when we're sitting with a client and they're saying, oh, like this is huge news. And I, I always say, listen, respectfully to you, this is huge news. No one knows who you are. 
So to a reporter and to everyone else, this news is irrelevant. They don't, if they, you've never heard of your company. So you, like, if you want this news to be publicized, like, you're going to have to pay for it. I don't think that it shouldn't be publicized, but like, it's just managing expectations at that point, right? Yeah. And so with that, what are the first steps that you suggest when you're working with them? Now, I know that you've you've created this whole collection of inner agencies and consultants and team members who can do your beckoning. But what is the first approach if someone's not using your services that you would suggest that they start with? I say map down a story. I say you sit down and outline what you want to be talking about from right now all the way out through as far as you can think, right? If you can get it through, and I understand that like if you're developing a product, the product timelines are gonna become very difficult. So with a product-based business that's not fully out to market yet, we always recommend anywhere up to 80% of evergreen content and only 20% timely so that you can use your labor hours to produce stuff that's not gonna immediately expire, A, and B, if product doesn't hit timelines, you can still move forward with the story, right? So that that becomes important. Um, but go through it and say, okay, we're going to start talking about this launch. We're going to start talking about this, like the ethos of the company. We're going to do a CEO interview. We're going to do this. We're going to do that. As if you have all of the resources. Mm-hmm. Money make, is no object here. Make Make that whole plan. And then eventually, even if you are only doing it on your earned media, or sorry, your owned media channels, you will still be familiar with working with the process and let the content actually drive everything that you're doing, right? So if, you, if you're if you starting with a blog or you're starting with an article, you write the article or you have your copywriter write the article, whoever's doing it, extrapolate all of your social as clips of that article, right? Pull pieces out of it, pull infographics out of it, pull all of this stuff out of it so that you're always driving people to an article. You're collecting their data in the link clicks. You're collecting their data the second they land on a page, right? Then you can put them in a retargeting audience. You can do native ads for your future articles to make sure that they see them so that they know what's going on on your storyline, right? But then you can start to rinse and repeat that process. You're growing your audience. And then when you are ready to start paying for PR, when you are ready to start actually doing these placements in in different areas, you have a big audience of people who you know are somewhat familiar with the brand because they clicked on an article once. And then as long as you're refreshing it with your 90 day rolling period for, you know, all of your, (laughs) all of your laws, um, you're good. And you can talk to all of them whenever you want through retargeting ads. And you'll be happy that you set it up uh, for when you're ready to spend. And this is so much so where it works both for a B2B as well as a B2C brand. Like there's no differentiation here on these approaches at all, because at the end of the day, someone's sitting at a computer and reading and they're just a person. That's it. Mm -hmm. 100%. I always joke when B2B people say, well, I don't want to do social. I don't want to. I said, where do you think everyone's scrolling through Instagram on the toilet? Like everyone, like at the, at the end of the day, that's where the eyeballs are. Go to where the, let the targeting find people who are decision makers in B2B. But this strategy does not change, right? It's just what you talk about inside of the strategy that changes, what the content is, how professionally it's formatted, how, what the infographics look like. Are they cartoons? Are they line drawings? All of that stuff. 
Um, that's what changes, right? And the other thing that you know you you touched on on this is that you know you want your CEO to be seen, but it doesn't mean that they have to be seen off the bat by the Wall Street Journal, by the New York Times. You right. have the ability to control on a very affordable basis through opportunities with thought leadership, through podcast guest hosting, through. Um, third-party articles that are being written on other platforms that they're being featured on, where they could become a Forbes contributor themselves. All these things can be purchased and there are companies that will help you actually implement them um, so that you can bring it to life. A hundred percent. And I think that, you know, one of the, one of the great problems with today's entrepreneur is the ego, right? Is the, well, I should be in the Wall Street Journal and I should be on Forbes. And if it's not that, then it's bust. It's, it's very unlikely that those are going to be your first two placements, right? That you're going to go bang out of nowhere into Forbes and Wall Street Journal for free. Like, unless without knowing someone, right? Like, unless you've got some kind of an in. So and I'm not saying it's not possible, but I'm saying that it would be more, more beneficial for you to set the ego aside and say, hey, listen, the goal at the end of the day is to get in front of the right audience, whether that audience is in Wall Street Journal or whether that audience is just listening to a podcast. All of these same people do these same things. They look at Instagram during the day because it's just a person, right? They listen to a podcast. They scroll through their feed and click on random articles. So you can play those levers at a much lower price point to get the audience that you want looking at your product. And eventually you'll be able to package all this stuff up and pitch it to Wall Street Journal and say, hey, look at all this stuff. That, why have you not written about this? Yeah. And that'll be free, right? <laughs> that's, that's what you can get. That, then that gets to be earned. And you touched on this a little bit earlier. You said the word ego. I have not met many founders of anything within most tech, fintech, blockchain, crypto that don't have a bit, and I will say sometimes well-deserved, sometimes eh, yeah. Yeah, so much. It's a scale. Yeah. (laughs) It can be like you got a lot of personalities here. You got people who can fundraise and like the best of them. And then you got what I referenced earlier those tech geeks who are buried in the product and the development, and it's their baby. And the rest of it is not something that's necessarily socially comfortable for them. You also get a lot of people who are on all elements of spectrums, too, on for neurotypical and non. And there are ways that you can leverage and use these other experiences to give it them experience themselves, opportunities to grow, to, you know, take a bite and actually learn how to be someone who's interviewed. And at the end of the day, even if you are the biggest introvert in the world, if you're running a company, it's unrealistic to expect that you're not going to have to present publicly and to be interviewed and to do those things. And the earlier on you start practicing, the easier it will be. Because obviously, and we do all of this. We do media training for people. We do, you know, we're not going to just throw someone on a, in front of a camera and be like, good luck. Um, but it's it's a lot, the table stakes are much less when you're just starting out, even though they feel more dire because you're like, this has to go right because everything's riding on this is my first chance of a bat. 
really you're much smaller. If you go and blow an interview when you're a Fortune 500 company or Fortune 100 company, that's a big deal. If you blow an interview when no one knows who you are, no one's going to find the, like, it doesn't matter. Like it really, it doesn't. Not until you are that Fortune 500 and they go back in time and say, look at how they fucked up. My God. But you know, and then you can say like, how about that? You know, it's it's true because the reality is, is that you're using so many other strategies to amplify stories at this age. You're using native, you're using your social channels, you're using UGC and stuff. You're saying, look at this, make a video and send it out. That if, if it comes out poorly and we don't like it, we just don't use it. And then it, it is very quiet, right? Or you re-edit it. Right. And you and you turn it into a still image instead of a video piece. Right. And that's one of the benefits of doing a lot of paid early on is you do have more control over the narrative, yeah. right? Because you are able to do second rounds of edits and you can cut things out and you can do, you can work with the copywriter and the reporter to make sure that it looks the way that you want it to look, right? There's can, not just one take. <laughs> yes, exactly. So it there there are a lot of pros. I think, you know, People go back and forth, but I, it's worked for a lot of people. <laughs> what are the mistakes that you see that people make in this space along the way? It's a, it's the, it's the money question, right? Of this, of this podcast, marketing mistakes. <laughs> Don't do it. I, I actually think that one of the saddest things that I find is people who don't set up any kind of of CRM or audience tracking or anything like that in in the early days. Like if you have a website, you should have some type of analytics and tracking on it. Like it's it's a really simple thing and it's not like hugely what we do. Obviously we'll throw Google analytics on your site if you don't have it, it's not a problem. But I can't tell you how many companies I've met with like five, 10 years into being in operations Mm -hmm. and they don't even have their email subscriber list. Like they don't have a, they don't have a retargeting pixel. So they don't even, they don't have Google analytics. They don't know where their site audience is from and any product you're developing, anything that you're marketing, anything that you're doing, the more you can identify your consumer and be able to identify from day one, what your audience is, Mm -hmm. the more effective any of this is going to be. Because if you come to us and you say, okay, I'm ready to start, right? If you haven't already done that sort of homework, right, where you know who your consumer is, that's the first thing that we have to sit down and do. And we do it all day. I mean, don't get me wrong. Like, we'll we'll find them. But it's a lot simpler for all of us to get started faster if you can say, here's my consumer. Take a look at my Google Analytics. Here's my, here's my data. Go through it. Here's an email list, right? And we'll find more people like that, right? We'll be able to find put you in front of opportunities, put you in fr- on the right podcast, on the right, in the right articles, on the right social channels, in the right Twitter spaces, all that kind of stuff with your audience at the forefront of everything that you're doing mm-hmm. rather than saying, well, let's figure out who they are first. And that makes sense. And is there anything else that you see that people do that's kind of a mistake that you wouldn't do? Hmm. I mean, people, people make a lot of mistakes. They do, (laughs) but not in the tech space. There's no No, mistakes made in the tech space. No, never, never. God, no. I think that one of the other things is it's a managing expectations game. I think people expect that when you turn on marketing, it's going to be something that you're able to just like put gasoline on the fire and have the whole thing blow up. Right. Mm -hmm. Like you have to remember that starting a fire takes a lot of time. So you should, one should not just expect that 
you can call a marketing agency and in a week you're going to have this huge list of consumers and prospects and all this stuff going on, especially if you haven't done a lot of your homework on the back end. There is a big ramp up period to figure out what is going to work to convert people to your brand, especially in the content marketing realm, right? Like after things get optimized and when things really get up and running a couple of months into it, right? Like you do start seeing a lot of fun stuff, but it's not day one results. So I, I think people wait until too long down the road to turn on marketing. They haven't done the tests. They haven't tested different media platforms, seen what buying strategy is going to work for them. Like spend a couple thousand dollars, you know what I mean? Spend a couple hundred dollars and just test some stuff. See if it works. Um, you know, you don't have to go out and spend 50 grand on your first, you know, marketing test. But then people show up with those kinds of big budgets and say, okay, make it work. And we have to say like, no, we need to test with a smaller amount first. And everyone gets all kerfuffled. <laughs> And with that, you know, I think that I see a lot of times what you were mentioning, you know, a month later, they're thinking that they have this whole marketing plan and these people and it's curated and it's going, you're, you're not going to be marketing your brand for a year, for two years. Like you're going to be building your brand and you're going to be building the base of the pyramid that you're launching, the foundation of your brand. And you yeah. are per se marketing your brand, but you are not marketing your brand. You're A-B testing. You're figuring out what works. You're figuring out where money is not being fine-tuned enough. You're dialing it in. You're doing it again with a little bit of a different take. Yep. And you're going and continuing and building and building. Or you are just making a mistake. You, that's, you said it. You said it. That's 100% true. And it's hard because I think what you end up, especially with fintech and all these spaces where you have really smart people, you also have board of directors. And I yeah. think board of directors has become the bane of a lot of marketers' existences because you have a lot of people who are not actually specialists in marketing, but they think they should know how the brand should be marketed, how it should grow. And they chime in and they give directions sometimes that are completely from left field and not based on reality. I think that there's a lot of people who think that they would they could do it best. And to that, I always say, well, then why don't you try it, right? Because at the end of the day, it's... If, if somebody care, if, feels so strongly about something, I will always throw it into an A-B test, even if I know it's not going to work, because it really is the only way to shut it down. So especially if there are budgets like that, it's best to just say, let's try it your way. Maybe I'm wrong. And let's go ahead and we're going to put a little bit of budget behind that. We'll run that campaign and we'll stack it up next to these. But there is this unrealistic expectation from investors, from the board, from all of that kind of stuff where things are going to turn around so quickly. And well, we'll just throw some marketing dollars. Why don't we know our CAC yet? Why isn't, you know, I heard somebody else's company is acquiring consumers for $2. Like, and that's a financial services. What's this doing over here? It's like, you're talking about, you know, you're talking about like a Rakuten or something, right? Which yeah. like is giving away $20 to sign up and is a coupon app. It's not like, that's not financial services. It's like, yeah. <laughs> and like, and why didn't you include the $20 giveaway and the cost? Like, it's just none of, none of it makes any sense. So it's like, you have to lean into those types of things yeah. in order for them to go away. It's like piling up the sandbags doesn't turn the tide. You have to let the tide come in and it'll go back out. Well, Mark, how can our listeners find you? They're like, oh my God, this guy's so cool. I want to talk to him more. I would just say, shoot me an email. It's the best way to get in touch with me. It's just Mark, M-A-R-K at techmeetstrader.com. You can always 
also just go to the website, which is techmeetstrader.com and fill out an intake form and, and it'll go to me. Um, and, I'll, and I'll get in touch with you, but email is great. Um, and I, I'd love to hear from you, I mean, even, even just to chat. Any last parting words of advice? I think just, I mean, I'm going to re- I'm going to say it again, do your homework. If you don't know how to get it all set up, get, and you don't want to pay someone big bucks, get someone on Upwork just to go get your analytics and everything set up. Just don't leave it on the table. Well, Mark, thank you so much for joining us today and sharing your wisdom and knowledge to all. Thank you, Stacey. It's been real fun. Awesome. To all of our listeners, thank you for tuning into another episode of Marking Mistakes and How to Avoid Them. Remember, if you are ever interested in finding ways to make your brand that star and get it into content like movies and TV shows and music videos, reach out to our agency and we can talk all things product placement integration and how to bring attention to you. Have a great one.